Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross, along with Luke Doris, here at the Local 10 WPLG podcast studio in Miami. Luke, how are you doing this week? Complicated tropics. It is. <laughs> Things have, uh, there's a pulse again. Yes. Everything popped up rather quickly, too. Exactly. We'll talk about that. This is podcast number eight of Hurricane Season 2019. And today, we're going to be joined by my old friend Mark Suddeth, who is the guru in a class by himself at gathering important video in hurricanes that we've never seen before. Video of storm surge as it's happening. And Mark does lots of other things, too. Uh, He'll be along in just a moment, and we'll find out how he does it, what he's up to, and uh, what's coming up next. And this week is a very special week. We're going to have two podcasts for you. The storm tracker himself, Jim Cantore, will be on tomorrow, so we'll have another podcast for you. We're recording this on Wednesday, August 21st, 2019. If you're listening at some point in the future, you've got to tune into Local 10 in South Florida or check the Max Tracker app or the Local 10 weather app for any current weather information. All right, let's just talk about what's going on out there right now. There's this tropical disturbance. It's actually showing some rotation over kind of just northeast of the Bahamas is where the National Hurricane Center is is plotting it. But at the mid-levels, it extends over a a broader area back to uh, south of Florida. So, Luke, (laughs) we uh, as we're recording this, the GFS today has come in. We're waiting on the euro. The uh, starting yesterday, the GFS had this disturbance. At the surface, it was taking it into the Gulf and aloft. It was taking it up the East Coast to off of the Carolinas over several days, taking a long time for that to happen. And then uh, the Euro uh, did not take the surface part into the Gulf. It kept it all together, went up the East Coast, kind of organized it into a tropical storm uh, off the Carolina coast. All right, so uh, you had to make a local forecast today based on on uh, what came in. What's your what's your idea? Well, it doesn't appear to be an immediate threat to South Florida. So right. whichever scenario plays out, which we don't know which one is necessarily more likely. Or if there's another scenario in the middle somehow. Yeah, sure. Right. So for us, the bottom line is a, a surge of moisture. We're going to have moisture elevate near, and we're going to have this uh, mid-level disturbance be near us at least. So basically it means an increase in our rain as we get Friday and into the weekend. Maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes these systems, let's say it were to be on the stronger side and just offshore, if it were to develop, let's say in North Florida, sometimes when that happens, we get beautiful weather and it holds the moisture closer to it. But that's not necessarily what we're seeing at this point. So for South Florida, how I'm dealing with it in the forecast is there's moisture increasing. We're going to have this disturbance nearby. Thus, we're more likely to see rain. Right. And the bottom line is that uh, since it hasn't developed, and forecasts for systems that have not developed and are poorly organized are always poor. Local forecasts even are poorer than normal when you have messy systems nearby that, that are in some sort of development stage. I mean, yeah. the bottom line is that we just don't forecast as well in that kind of scenario, which is what we've got going on here. But uh, just to reiterate what you said, there's no threat to South Florida at, from this system. Now, Uh, We'll talk to Mark Suddeth, who's up in North Carolina here in just a moment, see what he's thinking about for the Carolina coast, if anybody's talking about it uh, up there.
So we'll see about that. Uh, other than that, we had Chantal form last night. It went Finally. from, from uh, not very likely to form to suddenly 100% chance of forming. And it was this little tiny one of these kind of rogue, obnoxious sort of storms that really kind of goof with the hurricane season forecast numbers because, yes, you got to name storm out of it. And, yes, it's a tropical storm in the technical sense. But it's up on the very edge of the Gulf Stream, way north in, in from a tropical standpoint, the North Atlantic, and moving out to sea. And it's a little tiny thing, occupies about you know 10 square blocks of if they had blocks in the middle of the ocean, <laughs> right? So anyway, it's just one of the, it's one of those technical tropical it, storms. Is that one of the, is correct me if I'm wrong? Is that the second time that we've had a 10 percent chance of development and then <laughs> yeah. a tropical storm? Within uh, it 10, feels it feels like Barry might have been I that. Think, but it, it anyway, it was it was low odds, <laughs> and then yes. So there is that. Then, other than that, out in the in the deep tropics, uh, far out in the Atlantic, it's very quiet. And uh, Max Mayfield was here yesterday, and he and I were talking about this and and uh, look, kind of looking at all the parameters that we always look at. You know, you look at uh, what's the state of El Nino. Well, El Nino. Uh, actually, by the definition of looking at the temperature of the water in that section of the Pacific Ocean called 3.4, is over. As a matter of fact, it's, it's below normal there in the latest measurement from NOAA. Uh, so by that measure, there's no El Nino. Uh, the water temperature in the Atlantic is plenty warm. That's not an issue. The shear, the upper-level winds across the Atlantic, uh, are generally uh, favorable. But nothing is happening because if you uh, do a cross-section of the atmosphere, a sounding out in the middle of the Atlantic, you find there's a big area of dry air. Two of them in some parts. One is the Saharan dust at the lower level or at the low-mid levels. And uh, then you have the upper level, mid-upper levels have this tongue of dry air as well from descending air. So. So that big, um, we, we looked at this, Now you showed this mm -hmm. to me, like at 200 millibars, you get the sinking motion, high pressure aloft, and that just dries things out. Right, and it really shows up at about 400 millibars. Does it? Yes, it's so, a big tongue of dry air there. And the question is, why is it doing that? Uh, there's some speculation among people thinking about this that the Pacific is so warm, now not in that little particular part of the Pacific where we look for El Nino, but generally it's so warm that maybe that is, uh, there's so much rising air going on over the Pacific that maybe that is goofing with the circulation in some kind of way that you have what technically I guess you call a Hadley cell kind of a situation where it goes up in the Pacific and comes down over the Atlantic and squishes mm -hmm. anything that tries to develop. Yeah. So would that be the El Nino Madaki or is that something entirely different? <clears throat> well, the, the um, El Nino Madaki thing is is if that the warming is in the middle of the Pacific. In this case, what we're talking about is the entire Pacific. Okay. I mean, even the North Pacific is very, very warm, exceptionally warm. So anyway, that's some speculation. No doubt people uh, thinking about that. But, uh, you know, we were talking about the idea of going zero for April or, or August, zero for August yeah. to steal uh, John Erdman's line from the Weather Channel. I thought that was good, but it's not ha it didn't happen because Chantal obviously formed. So, our, you know, we're, we're not that far behind, actually, in terms of numbers of storms. We're way behind uh, in terms of storm activity out mm -hmm. there, in terms of uh, so-called ACE, the amount of energy that Mother Nature generates in the Pacific. 22% of normal. Way, way, way 
behind. So and so the idea that the hurricane season seems quiet is not uh, a foreign idea. It indeed is. All right. Uh, talking about the coast of Florida, the coast of North Carolina, uh, let's bring in Mark Suddeth. Mark is in Wilmington, North Carolina. Mark, thanks so much for being part of the podcast. Mark, uh, we just talked about the idea of this system that's over the Bahamas now kind of coming your way toward the coast of North Carolina. What are people doing there? Well, people are watching it on social media. They see others talking about it from the various model output, some of the model output, and maybe not as reliable as we would like it to be, perhaps. Uh, But you know what? The bottom line, that people are talking about it, that they are paying attention in the scheme of things, I think that's a good thing uh, so that nobody can say they were caught off guard. And then there are, are uh, good voices up here, mine included, but there's others, of course, uh, from television all the way down to just your social media hurricane um, experts, if you will, uh, that put the voice of reason behind it. That's eh, something to watch. It's hurricane season. It's to be expected if something does develop. So all in all, I guess it's got people's attention. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to make sure we do is keep people aware. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, uh, we have no idea really what's going to happen at this point. And we'll talk uh, in just a little bit about what you're doing in terms of uh, putting out information as well. So I remember when you came by the Weather Channel when I was uh, running the weather content uh, division there at the time. And we talked about that idea of getting out, uh, getting these images uh, when storm surge was coming in because it's just too dangerous. You can't put people out there. But talk about how that idea actually got started. Sure, that's a great question. Uh, and I remember that conversation and numerous conversations over the years about this idea. And, you know, it started really in the year 2000 with Dr. Steve Lyons when he was at the Weather Channel asking a very basic question. How can we get a camera on the beachfront and send the signal back so that we can keep the on-camera meteorologists out of harm's way. And it was a challenge. And Max Mayfield, uh, always him and Ed Rappaport at the National Hurricane Center, always were very concerned about hurricane chasers being out there, even though they really appreciated the data and the video, and video is data, that they were getting back. There was this concern, and so it was challenge accepted. And so over the years, thanks to off-the-shelf technology and using cellular data, which came around um, in 3G, well, 2G, 3G, 4G, and now, of course, we're knocking on the door 5G, so that the speeds allowed streaming of video from a laptop. That's how we started this in 2005. Took a laptop put a camera into it using a digitizer, used a VCR to record the signal first so that we'd have a, quote, broadcast quality version because the stream that we were sending out, and this will shock you, was 30 kilobits per second, no audio, and yet it worked (laughs) 14 years ago, whatever it is. Now, uh, didn't you actually start this with... uh... With, in Hurricane Charlie, didn't Hurricane Charlie somehow trigger right. this for you? So I had the challenge four years earlier from Dr. Lyons and certainly Max encouraging us to come up with a way. And then, yes, Charlie was truly the cattle prod uh, that 
was on the phone with Max in the eye of Charlie near Port Charlotte. And among other things in the conversation, he asked me, have you seen the light? And he wasn't talking about the light of the eye and the sun shining through. He was talking about how dangerous this is because I was scared. I, I felt like I had just gotten off of a domestic flight that suffered severe turbulence for 45 minutes. Imagine, and for those of you that have gone through that, that's what it was like. And I did. I saw the light. I was like, okay, that's it. We're going to develop a way. And in 2004, we started just using video cameras and putting them inside of scuba diving housings. We couldn't stream it live yet. And that was during Francis and Ivan. Ivan was the more successful. And that's where it launched. And so by 2005, the funding and the technology allowed for the placement of three of these clunky, heavy boxes for Hurricane Katrina. First, Deerfield Beach, Fort Lauderdale area, and then Gulfport, Mississippi, and the rest, as they say, is history. Mark, I'm just thinking of the logistics of all this. So we're going back to, what, uh, 2004 with Charlie? And right. we had, uh, you know, Mark, uh, or Morgerman was on uh, just, Josh uh, excuse me, yes, Josh Morgerman was on last week, and he's a, you know, hurricane chaser, goes all over the world, and, and just trying to get to the right place uh, to, to deploy, basically. Can you run me through that process? How do you get exactly where you need to be? How much time do you have to put out your cameras and place them where you need them to be uh, before the storm surge comes in and you got to get out of Dodge? Can you run me through that? Certainly. And so the uh, through the years, the technology has become smaller. So now our camera systems, these unmanned camera systems, are a little bit larger than a lunchbox or a briefcase. And they weigh just a few pounds, and they run for about three days. Uh, the early edition ran for about 18 hours. Now we have three days runtime, and we have uh, in our possession about a dozen of these systems. In the early days, we could only afford about three at a time. They were very expensive. So it's now we get to an area early. Obviously, the track forecasts, notice I'm saying track forecasts have improved greatly. <laughs> Intensity, we're still working on because, like Michael, you show up thinking you're going to be there for a Category 1, and it ends up being a 5, and we know how that goes. But so much planning goes in coordination with various people from the National Weather Service, local offices down to the National Hurricane Center, especially the Storm Surge Unit. And we choose our targets very wisely based on solid intelligence from the forecasts uh, down to experience and even talking with locals. And we figure out where we want to mount these cameras. Now we can mount them mostly on utility poles. Sometimes we can mount them on the um, pilings that hold up houses, you know, we get with a homeowner through social media or something, and they say, hey, you can put one on our house. And so we'll go attach it to the piling of their house, and we use ratchet straps and a chain and lock them up. And in the case of Michael, everything survived, and we captured something that we have never seen before. Now, you've been through so many hurricanes and so many spots on the coast, I imagine. Sometimes you're going back to the same places you were before, aren't you? I mean, do you have places that you know, or do you have to figure this out before every storm every time? Yeah, that is a great point, Brian, and that's that uh, 
I do know these places, and we have gone back to the same places. And then when we go to some places along the coast as a family, my wife in particular gets aggravated because, hey, I, I'm, that's where I put the camera. And she's like, okay, Mark, it's January. We don't need to hear about hurricanes. We're good. And we actually leave the little bracket and the gorilla tape that holds the bracket behind as a little marker. And it's not littering and it's not, you know, it's no big deal. So the utility companies that take it off, they take it off. It's not in anybody's way. But we literally have around the coast now these little brackets. And, you know, you think about all the places we've been, and there's actually a couple of them in Hawaii when I went out there for Lane last year, almost a year ago now, uh, in preparation for Hurricane Lane. Um, but that is exactly right, Brian, that I go back to the same places, it seems, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, Cedar Key, Florida, um, you know, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, absolutely. I mean, now it's literally, oh, okay, well, there, there you go. There's your pole that you're going to use. But now that we have more cameras, we will be finding more locations, including putting these inland to capture the inland impacts that these are going to branch out and not just be storm surge-centric camera systems. That would have been really neat for to, to see and, and very helpful to see with Hurricane Michael with all the trees that had fell right. through that. So that's an outstanding idea. I'm thinking about your your feed or the video. I imagine you have a live feed. Uh, can you tell me about that? I would think it'd be dependent on cell phone network, which that has to drop when these storms come through. So do you have a live feed? Is it dependent on the cell phone network? And, and how did it do in Hurricane Michael? Everything we do uh, for the video systems, it's, it's, we do it live first. And that's actually, I try to encapsulate this into a short story as best I can. We're talking almost 15 years now. Um, we, we began doing it live in 2005 with Hurricane Dennis as a test and then full-on during Hurricane Katrina. And we would record on the VHS tape as backup. Now, we stream live, we use Nest Cams, and we have uh, a dozen of these boxes. And thanks to Irma teaching us that, oh yeah, the terrestrial network, as we call it, the cellular network, definitely goes down. I mean, we knew that, but we had been lucky all the years that between Katrina and Irma that we never lost our feeds, even in Sandy and other events. Irma really taught me a hard lesson, and so we now back up the live feeds with GoPro cameras in a separate box with a separate power source that also runs for three days. So if we lose the live feed, we still have the high-definition GoPro backup, and that's what saved us in Michael. That being said, we had five cameras set up for Michael, Cedar Key, St. Mark's, uh, a place called East Point, uh, an area near Indian Pass, and of course Mexico Beach. Everything stayed up until the core came in, and in Mexico Beach, that live feed actually stayed up past the worst part. As unbelievable as it sounds, it stayed up, which is a testament to Verizon and their engineers um, and disclaimer, I do not have a, a sponsorship with Verizon. I'm literally, I mean, it was remarkable. And then the feed went out. And that yeah, became the, the Verizon story Tower failed, I think, eventually, right, in Panama City there. Yeah, you lose also, it's not just the towers, and people mistake, we've learned a lot about this over the years, 
it's the backbone. Right. You know, right. The, the connectivity. The fiber, yes. the microwave. Right. You know, there's all kinds of uh, links in the chain. So we had to rely on that GoPro. And in fact, we had not put the GoPro box out yet until Wednesday morning. Um, we only had a couple of the GoPro cams last year. Now we have close to 20. It's amazing what a Cat 5 hurricane will do for your funding, by the way. <laughs> um, everybody pays attention, and all of a sudden they're willing to support it, which is great. Uh, but we only had a couple of them last year, and it wasn't until Wednesday morning that we decided to put the GoPro at Mexico Beach, um, thanks to uh, communication that I had with the storm surge unit. And um, we went. We went back and set one out underneath the box that the live cam was in, which was set up Tuesday night, the 9th. And so literally two hours before the Corps got there, we went back to Mexico Beach, put the GoPro on with a ratchet strap, and it survived and gave us something that I still cannot believe we actually caught. Yeah, that's uh, the, the definitive storm surge video is Mark's uh, Mexico Beach video, and we'll talk about how people can can see that in, in a minute. But Mark, sure. you must have been, uh, was it you that was running from Cedar Key to Panama City? And that's that's a long way around Apalachee Bay there to put all these things out. And, no kidding. And, and uh, do you have, uh, or what's your sort of modern strategy for actually placing the cameras in terms of how high off the ground and obviously you're strapping them down good but but right. you must have some kind of a mental picture of what an ideal place looks like in terms of of height distance from the water and so forth that's right and you also have to play location scout and think about what's the shot going to look like and um it's both helpful for uh, just viewing it both from people watching online or the Weather Channel, which is our um, media partner. What is it going to look like? What are we going to see? And then it's also the science. How much science are we going to see in this, the impacts, the effects? How is this going to help the National Hurricane Center? How is it going to help the local emergency management office? And on down the line it goes. So that's a big consideration. What are we going to see? Then... Where should we put the camera so that it will hopefully survive? Well, we know the camera will survive, but we got to find the box if it gets torn off or whatever. And then, yes, we, we look at the storm surge forecast, and we put the uh, we bring a ladder with us, and we put the thing um, 8, 12, 15 feet up, depending on the situation. And um, the rest generally takes care of itself. Uh, in the case of Michael, you know, in Mexico Beach, we caught that surge, but we also caught that wind, which, you know, there's no way to measure it, even using photogrammetry would probably be very, very difficult, but you almost believe that you're looking at Category 5 wind in some of that video from Mexico Beach. And to see the two phenomenon in broad daylight on top of each other, the wind and then the violent surge coming in after, and then coincidental with the wind, was truly remarkable. And that camera, the GoPro, was only about six feet above the concrete hmm. we just didn't have much time and time was of the essence and i said you know it's all sealed if it if the surge goes over it it'll be underwater and it'll be okay blah, blah 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 but normally we try to get these two or three feet above the projected high water from a surge event 
You know, there, there are certain videos that you see with weather that are so intense and rare. You know, it's a really rare event to be where the worst of the worst is. And the the Hurricane Michael storm surge footage that you have, it's spectacularly devastating. And you've covered a lot of hurricanes. And I wonder, is the video from Hurricane Michael in Mexico Beach your biggest, best video, for lack of a better term? It absolutely is, and it vindicates me from our loss in Katrina because we had three boxes out for Katrina and captured what we needed to capture uh, on all three but lost all three. And the, the story this fast as, you know, the two-paragraph version, the elevator pitch version, as they say, I found one of them. We went back two days after Katrina, found one box, but because I had wired something wrong setting it up, it's, it's that itself is a long story, but I screwed it up. And, and Max actually told me that he cried about it, knowing that we got it, but we lost it. And, and that had stuck with me, believe me. I mean, I almost had to go to therapy for it because it was so frustrating that I screwed up the one box that we found and then the other two we know they worked and we just do and they're lost and they're gone forever. I mean, they they're just the they golf. floated away. They they're in the rubble right. or whatever something. They're in the rubble, right? Yeah. We, and, wow. and we we over-engineered it back then and it's part it's part of the learning process and so you you have lessons learned but you also have lessons applied. And we applied those lessons by the time we got to Michael and now I feel very vindicated, and it's really helped a lot of people. It's helped a lot of people in seeing what happened, and it's actually helping with insurance claims because the wind did do a lot of the damage before that surge got there. But that's a story for another day. Yeah, yeah, so you can see that in your video. All right, well, let's, for, for folks that are listening, then uh, tell us how to see the video, and also I should have mentioned uh, previously about your website, HurricaneTrack.com, so talk about what you do on the website. So HurricaneTrack.com, 20 years old now, uh, started that in 1999, and it's more of the brand now, the Hurricane Track brand, and I'm, I've done so much on YouTube and Twitter and now Patreon, the crowdfunding site, that I don't do as much with the actual website anymore. It's, it's like, you know, I do these YouTube videos and Twitter and so forth, so the website's you know, still there, but it's interesting how it has changed over those two decades under the Hurricane Track brand. Um, and so, you know, we have an app, and we're actually getting ready to redo that. Um, it's called Hurricane Impact because that's all about the impact. And uh, um, But you know how things go. It evolves. You know, television has evolved, radio has evolved, and certainly the Internet as well. Um, but, yeah, this year, HurricaneTrack.com in March turned 20 years old. All right, but Our you're company. doing briefings on there, right? Do you have your videos on Hurricane right. Track as well? Is that where people can see your videos? Yes, I will uh, uh, put the videos. Uh, I do the updates, um, usually on the website. But, again, the website has Twitter embedded into it, so the nice thing is, Sometimes I don't even have to update the website itself. You know how these things go. It's all automatic. <laughs> what a world. Let's say you don't have to duplicate. You know how they you know, work efficient. 
Uh, you don't have to work as hard because everything is, is efficient to try to satisfy all the mediums as to how people are going to access your content. Mark, with you being kind of the, the leader of, you know, the spearhead of the storm surge videos, um, you probably have a unique perspective on how people respond to them. You know, storm surges, we know the number one killer from hurricanes, but wind gathers all the headlines, wind gets all the video, that's where it's all right. the, you know. Can you tell me what your what people's reactions are uh, in general in a broad sense when they see your videos? Well, there's there's two ways to approach this. Um, when they see the video, then they're like, wow, you know, their jaw, especially after last year, and we don't want to neglect Florence. There's the storm surge video that we got from Florence in Surf City and in New Bern were also unprecedented. Just incredible point-blank video of an entirely different type of surge. Very destructive, but not as violent as Michael. Right, just kind of came in just relentlessly. Right. Yes. right, right. And we've also done a lot capturing flooding from freshwater. Uh, with these cameras. And so seeing is believing. And so when you show people the video, especially, and I know we'll talk about it in a moment, the documentary and how I've incorporated into that, it is truly remarkable and it opens a lot of people's eyes. But to go before the answer to that question is the question people ask me and how they react to it. And Michael is a great example. They usually don't believe that it's going to happen. So when they see us setting up a box, People come around, hey, what you guys doing? And we explain it, and they go, eh, well, probably won't be that bad here. Uh, we saw that a lot in Michael, in East Point and in Mexico Beach Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. People that stayed in the building right behind where the camera was mounting was mounted wanted us to stay with them. They saw one of our partners, Mesonet Trucks. Um, I used to have one like that, but we no longer really need it because we put everything out remotely, so why do I need a truck? But anyway, yeah, so they knew what we were doing, et cetera. And, oh, wow, you want to stay here? You can stay with us. It's a company that uh, rents um, to people that want to you know, rent property out there. We won't name them, but they, they, they were staying, and they were actually aggravated with us because they wanted us to put the camera on their balcony. And I get it. They wanted to be part of the story, and it's all good, but we knew – no, 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 this is not a good thing. And that building was actually cut in half by the wind. You hear it coming apart in the video. It's actually ironic because the surge didn't do much, believe it or not. How, I don't know. The wind actually took the top of that building off. And I think they evacuated the next morning uh, because they lived to tell about it, so I don't think they were still there. But people just don't think it's going to happen to them. And we do that with our health, and we do that, I guess, with how we deal with weather. Yeah. That's not going to happen to me. Yeah, you're right. So uh, what's next, Mark? What's what's the next generation of technology? What's the next thing that you want to uh, see pictures of that we haven't seen mm-hmm. pictures of? Well, we've tackled everything on the surface of the Earth uh, pretty successfully. Um, I won't say conquered. That implies something totally different. We're still working at it, but we're doing well. So the next thing is to capture data, because I do love the data, not just video data, but meteorological data as well. We do set out instrumentation to capture that. But we want to do the same in the eye of a hurricane up to the stratosphere, similar to what they do 
with the drop signs, except we want to do it in reverse. You know, we call that a sounding or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sounding balloons are launched, and once in a while, the eye of a hurricane will pass over a WFO, a weather forecast office, or NSSL, or somebody will launch a sounding balloon in the core. They're, they're getting better at that. I want to do it quite on purpose in the eye, and if you're going to put up a sounding device, which we have a high-altitude computer for that, you might as well film it. So we attach a couple of GoPros. We've been testing this since 2012, about every year. Usually we do that on the Great Plains just to make it easy. And we actually launched in the eye of Hurricane Nate at about 1 in the morning in 2017 near Biloxi. Uh, got really in, interesting data all the way up to about 55,000 feet. Um, could see a little bit because we had a little bit of a moon, but, eh, you know, it's it's not the same as launching during the day. We had two opportunities last year. Florence to launch from my driveway, but it was filling. And when the eye fills, you know, it becomes more turbulent and we never right. really as, got As the storm gets weaker, yes, right. Correct. Uh, it's like a bunch of elephants falling all over each other. It's no good. And then Michael. And Michael becomes my Katrina for an opportunity missed in terms of the eye and launching. We call it Herbie, H-U-R-R-B, the Hurricane Research Balloon. Everything has to have a name, so that's the name. We missed the eye of Michael by about five miles, and we could have driven our vehicles during the core into Tyndall, but people that see my Charlie video, I say, I don't do that anymore. Yeah, well, that was also, there's the Air Force Base involved, and I mean, there were a lot of reasons to not be maneuvering around, right? So we got to be in the right place at the right time and be stationary. Had the eye of Michael, let's put it another way, had it come over the Hampton Inn in Panama City, (laughs) I would be probably the first person on Earth, well, I know I would be, to have uh, video from the stratosphere assuming would have found the box later you got to go find it and that's a whole other story we have trackers and it's actually pretty amazing but we want to be the first people to do that and uh, we did it in nate but doggone it, it was one o'clock in the morning um and that's actually on amazon prime like included with prime it's the tracking the hurricanes 2017 it's got irma and harvey and nate in there and you see at the climax of the documentary there, yes, we launched during Nate, and it actually worked pretty good, and now we just want to do it during the day. All right, Mark, so we want to let you go, but but so t- tell us again about the documentaries that you do, how people can see them, and how people can see uh, these uh, incredible, really, uh, hurricane uh, understanding changing videos. Right. It really does change our, mm-hmm. our fundamental understanding of exactly what happens uh, in a storm. I started these in 2004 just as a uh, something to do at the end of the season, you know, and uh, I like filmmaking. It's fun. I do the, my own music and everything and kind of turned into a, a small following i was their cult following i mean i I realized my place in the scheme of things but people were they liked them Mm -hmm. so i did it in 2005 did another one in 08 and a few years where i didn't do one and anyway the one from 2018 is the best one yet and now whereas before i used to sell dvds but i mean come on that's ancient now i can just put them out on the cloud as it were right uh on amazon and so we use amazon prime video 
and 2017's on there, as I mentioned. It's called Tracking the Hurricanes. That's the original series name, going back to 04. And it's the 2018 edition. It's on Amazon Prime Video. And um, it's like a full director's cut, two hours and one minute or something like that. And it is remarkable. I mean, I watch it from the perspective of somebody who would enjoy a good documentary. And, you know, is it some formula like you'd see on television? No, it's not. It's an independent film by a guy who didn't go to film school. I did the best I could. But people like it, and it makes me happy. I get good reviews and emails from people, and it impacts their lives in more ways than I could ever imagine from just the satisfaction that a weather geek gets to see something they've never seen before all the way to people who have said, I really got to see what happened to my town. Thank you. And it makes me feel good. You know, I'm not going to become a millionaire doing it. That was never the point. It is the satisfaction of putting something out there to showcase what we've done. Well, it has been uh, remarkable and, and uh, absolute congratulations. All right, Mark Suddeth, uh, his website is hurricanetrack.com. You can look on Amazon uh, for his videos, which are the best, most amazing hurricane videos when it comes to capturing the storm surge that are anywhere. Mark, thanks so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. So it, it, it is, uh, I mean, he, he's been working at this for, uh, I guess I've known him since 2009 or 10-ish, something mm-hmm. like that. And he had the Herbie idea. He came in one year to the Weather Channel and said, I've got an idea. And, and it was, but it was all so crude compared to what you can do now. So it's, uh, you know, this is what we need. We need people like this that, that really just dedicate themselves to solving these things because seeing what actually happened makes such a difference, I think. I, th- I think these videos can, can make a real fundamental difference. I do, too. Nothing beats a visual, you know. That's w- something that we're always battling in, in communication. You, you, you put the words out, and, you know, like, there will be times it frustrates me so much where I'll give a forecast, and I'll say, it's not going to rain all day, but we're probably going to see it in the morning, so chances are high. You know, something mm-hmm. like this, just as an analogy. And then people come in, and they say, I canceled my plans. Why? You said it was, you know, I saw the high rain chance. It didn't rain all day. It's like, I, your words have limited impact. Right. Visuals are tough to beat. And when you see the visual of, you know, it's not just gradually rising water that's real, you know, a, a slow rising flood like some people may think storm surge would be. It's just gradually rising. No, this is coming up. There's debris crashing around. It makes your palms sweaty. I mean, just imagine being in this awful position where people were. People were there, and it changes your perspective of what storm surge really is. And when the video starts, the ocean's way out in the distance. Right. I mean, and by the middle part of the video, it's right there. I mean, it's up on the pole, and um, it's a perspective changer. Well, as Mark said, though, you also compare what the Michael storm surge looks like to the Florence storm surge, which is this relentless movement of the water. It's not violent because you don't have the strong winds like yeah. you had in Michael, right? But uh, but storm surge is uh, where it's at in terms of extreme danger in a hurricane. So Mark and his... Uh, Usually there's one other person or sometimes two other people that help him output these things out. 
Uh, and of course, we had Josh Morgerman on last week, who also runs around in these storms and a different kind of, of searching. But Mark stays very close and goes through these hurricanes, too. Does, does, would that interest you? Would you like to go out running around and trying to position yourself or position equipment in these storms? Well, I mean, look, the bottom line is I, I'm a meteorologist. There's yeah. few things on this planet that fascinate me more than weather and when weather is at its most intense. Um so I, I imagine I would enjoy or uh, be drawn to it a time or two, but I don't know what it's like after that's done. And I've seen, you know, post-Michael, I was there earlier this year, and it's hell on earth. And I think that would probably change my perspective. I don't think I would uh, be as, you know, it wouldn't be as appealing after when you see the aftermath and seeing, you know, uh, just what, what it did. But the the thought of going and experiencing it, yeah, would be appealing. If I if I were guaranteed safety, that's another thing, too. Is, yeah, uh, that's the just, other thing. It's, it's a gamble. It's, it's, it is a gamble, and it's also a gamble not just of being unsafe, but it's a gamble of being trapped, yeah. uh, which I think is the is the real fundamental issue, which uh, hasn't happened in a big way yet, but certainly there is fear uh, that it could happen. Uh, since it is the end of August here, it, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, look back 27 years on this day. So in 1992, this date, the 21st of August, was Friday. And on Friday, we uh, in here in South Florida, we had a tropical storm offshore. The three-day National Hurricane Center forecast for Tropical Storm Andrew had it 325 miles off of Fort Pierce, Fort Pierce being much more in central Florida, on Monday, right? So here we are Friday afternoon, but the, the official forecast for Monday had it 325 miles off of Fort Pierce. Now, also, the models were all over the place, which, which we didn't all see. So remember, nobody at home saw models. At the television station, we didn't see models. The only spaghetti models were at the National Hurricane Center. Uh, but they were really pointing in, in a lot of different directions. And even three days out, we didn't have a lot of confidence in the forecast. It wasn't like we all hung our hat on that forecast and said, oh, it's going to be off Fort Pierce. We're not you know, going to think about it. In fact, I was thinking very hard about it that day. So it was a, we had a different kind of understanding of what a hurricane forecast is and how accurate it could be. But so that afternoon, the, the, the way the routine worked is – we got these models uh, in in the morning that just were little panels. But the main one I wanted, and the one I used every day to forecast the weather, much like we kind of wait for the European to come in mm -hmm. now, yeah. right, was called the AVN, which today is called the GFS. And that came in on a big map. And uh, so I was just waiting for that. And when it came in, I noticed that as I was anticipating and the question I was going to look for an answer, uh, to on that map was uh, how strong is the high pressure going to be to the north? Is Andrew really going to turn north? And it showed this very strong high pressure system, 594 high over North Carolina, that I knew would block Andrew if it were indeed, you know, going to happen. Right. So that was what uh, got me uh, oriented on that Friday afternoon to saying, okay, we need to think about getting ready. And if this if this really happens this way, we're going to have to get ready this weekend. And since it was Friday, uh, we talked a lot about preparedness because it was Friday. If the storm had been as ragged as it was, a 60-mile-an-hour tropical storm, 
and the forecast had taken it up to Central Florida and had been Thursday, I don't think I would have made as big a deal out of it that afternoon. Yeah, people would have unplugged. and yeah. over Well, the they didn't weekend. have cell phones in general in yeah. 1992. And they didn't have Twitter in 1992. And they didn't have Twitter. And they say so you didn't get you know, immediate information. So it was a little different kind of thing. So that was the, that was that Friday when it all started by late that evening, we were sort of generally concerned, but it was really all about what was Saturday going to bring in terms of the forecast. And so everybody went to bed Friday night thinking, okay, tomorrow is the day where we're going to know, uh, whether not everybody, honestly, but uh, those of us in the weather business, yeah. uh, people at the National Hurricane Center, people in the television stations, we knew that Saturday we're going to have to figure out you know, what to do. People in general didn't know anything about it until Saturday. Well, and still, you're, you're thinking track mm-hmm. of a tropical storm right. at that point. You're probably not thinking Cat 5. No, we didn't have, even have a thought of Cat 5, but we did think hurricane because high pressure was going to build to the north Certainly over the Gulf Stream, the water is plenty warm. Over the Bahamas, the water is plenty warm. Uh, we didn't have, like, shear forecasts and things like that to to think about it that way, but just in a very macro sense. Strengthening. The weather pattern looked looked uh, somewhat favorable, and the Hurricane Center's forecast was for it to become a hurricane. And the hurricane hunters that had inspected it that Friday had found an eye wall starting to develop. So mm. the idea that it was going to become a hurricane was not a crazy idea. I mean, that was kind of accepted, but certainly we had no concept that two and a half days later it would make landfall as a Category 5. Mm. It's just unbelievable. And this really is the hard scenario even today to get, uh, to get our mind around. You bet. So that's our podcast for today. If you want to uh, drop us a line, send us uh, – Send us a question, anything like that. Uh, you can do that at WeatherPod, like the two words together, WeatherPod at WPLG.com. Now, tomorrow, as I said before, we're going to uh, talk to the storm tracker Jim Cantori from the Weather Channel, and we'll have another podcast for you then. But until then, for Luke Doris, I'm Brian Norcross here in the WPLG podcast studio in Miami. We hope you have uh, a good day, and, and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>